who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Wander with us into a world of magic. Do you lack magic? Where old stories take on a new life and the world is teeming with possibilities. Well, for the last time, we're not kissing, Fritz. Join Jenny and Madeline in this fantastical audio drama as they journey into the stories you grew up with. Okay, Gown. Let's do this. And reinvent fairy tales with a feminist twist. Ready for your next adventure? Then we'll see you soon in the forest of feminist fairy tales. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Wallentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about Apollo 13. So grab your wet hot dog. And let's get civical. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I am Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Wallentowski. And today, my oh my, is a special day. I am am, bursting at the seams. I am so happy and stressed about this episode because I feel like there you only get to do an episode about a thing once. And if we fuck this up. I will I'll never be forget myself. So sad. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have we have spoken about this event and specifically in context of the film about this event. Yes. Many times many, on many. this show. Mm-hmm. When you think of Let's Get Civical, you think of Apollo 13. A hundred Because we talk about it so often. Mm-hmm. It is one of your favorite movies, and it is a film that I cannot watch because I'm mentally not strong enough. Like, I've seen it, but I cannot watch it again currently in my current mental state. I I don't, I'm not strong enough to deal with it right now. Oh my God. It is one of my favorite, it is one of my favorite movies. It's like this, Fry Green Tomatoes. There's, you know, I love a big emotional arc, right? I mean, truly an arc. Truly an arc. But even, like, so last night when I was doing notes for this episode, I was like, oh, maybe I'll put it on and have it going in the background. And I was like, no, that's not. No. <laughs> it's too, so... like, reading the things, doing the research. Like, I need, uh, you know, I, like, put on friends in the background as, like, a happy, yeah. like, we need to cancel out <laughs> the emotions. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I, I would say that Apollo 13 is is the the least background. Mm-hmm movie you could possibly think of this is true like if i if apollo 13 is is anywhere in a three mile radius of me i'm in the fetal position <laughs> like just like they're not gonna make it they're not gonna, they're make, gonna it. make it it's, it's not like gonna titanic happen. it's not gonna, they're happen. Not gonna figure it out they're not gonna slingshot around the moon it's mm. not gonna happen it's not gonna happen very stressful oh my god yes 
we're talking about Apollo 13 because it's the anniversary time of all of the things, the mission in general. Yeah. And I am so excited. I'm so very excited I to am, talk about I am so very excited movies. because when we go to space, when Let's Get Civical goes to space. Oh, my God. We're doing it. Magical things happen. We're doing it. We're doing it. We love going to space. Uh-huh. Our, that's like when I think about our Venn diagram, you and I's. Space and NASA is like dead center. Yes. Yes. That is where we. That is what keeps us whole. Yes. So, I mean, enough, enough with the small talk. Let's jump into the thing that we both want to talk about, which is Apollo 13. Do you want to talk about today's sources? I'm looking at them. And like, honestly, if I could have dinner with any sources, it would be every single one of these. Yes. Heavy hitters. Heavy hitters. Absolutely. Our our first source, tried and true, we go nowhere without her, history.com, who was a great source mm-hmm. of like backstory and like yeah. had info about the actual mission that was supposed to happen. Sure. Yeah. Like like what like what were we actually trying to right. do here? Right. Not, you know, it gets overshadowed by the sort of emergency um shift that the astronauts had to do to sort of get back to earth yes so great source use use some of history.com for that nasa because obviously 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 obviously. i wouldn't if you didn't include nasa i'd be like go back to Mm -hmm. the drawing board (laughs) redo and talk to her Mm -hmm. talk to her yeah smithsonian magazine also a great story about apollo 13 history of apollo 13 and Britannica, because they had some cute yeah. little fun facts, very well, easily mm. digestible. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So let's hop in. Let's lift off, if you will. Arden, I'm looking at your tits. What's going <laughs> on? <laughs> I had to move my computer and I was like, this is going to be weird for a second. There we go. I was like, what's, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to start this episode and you're just like, and my boobs. I'm like, this isn't, these are not relevant right now. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I'm, okay. We're so good. I just needed let's to Let's prepare for liftoff for Apollo 13. So let's start with what was the mission? Like what was the actual, what was the, the what, actual goal here? What were we supposed to be doing? What were we supposed to be doing? Because it wasn't, you know, trying to make an emergency landing back to Earth after the ship broke down. No. So origin OG mission was... Apollo 13 was the seventh manned mission in the Apollo space program, which lasted from 1961 to 1975. And it was supposed to be the third lunar landing mission. So they were supposed to land on the moon. Yes. On April 11th, 1970, Apollo 13 launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida. On board were astronauts James Lovell, John, a.k.a. Jack Swaggart, and Fred Hayes. Their mission was to reach the Frau Moro Highlands of the moon and explore the Imbrium Basin, conducting geological experiments along the way. Yeah. All that to say, they're going to the moon to take samples, poke around, mm-hmm. do a couple of experiments, yeah. grab a handful of popcorn shrimp, and get out of there. Yes. That was the Apollo 13 goal yeah that's why we all went that's why we three all went. dudes heading to the moon but obviously that's not what happened that's not what happened so mm. many things went wrong over the course of this yeah. mission and if you like me are a fan of this movie you know exactly where we're going but it starts even before like the problems arise even before liftoff so apollo 13 suffered its first unexpected issue two days before liftoff Command module pilot Ken Mattingly was exposed to German measles and grounded, so he couldn't fly. Mm. His backup was Jack Swigert, and he joined the team with little time to work alongside his new crewmates before the mission began. So they've got the the, the crew, the, the prime crew that's going up, and then they've got a standby crew. Yeah. And they swapped out Jack, um, Ken Mattingly for Jack Swigert. And, like, these guys have been, like, working and yeah. training together for, like, months and months, months and, and months, months to and have months. down exactly what each of their roles are. So yes. to take out somebody two days beforehand, it's Insane. like, hold on. Yes. I've gotten used to Ken. Right. And I know what Ken's going to do. Ken had like, 
you get the rapport. It's like losing yes. your, your quarterback. You're like, okay, I don't understand how you run routes anymore. No. Because I haven't trained with you. Right. Sports metaphor. Thank you. Sorry to do it. I've I've been watching more football, so I did pick up what you were talking I'm about. So, I'm so happy. I know. I'm so happy. That's, yes. So they're swiping in Jack Swigert for Ken Mattingly. Then during liftoff, the center engine during stage two cut off two minutes early. So to get the ship into orbit, a.k.a. like get it out of Earth's atmosphere and into orbit, that stage's other engines had to burn 34, an extra 34 seconds, while stage three had to fire for nine extra seconds longer. People at Mission Control hoped that this would be the mission's biggest glitch. So the glitch being like, yeah. if we like we were down an engine, we still got to yeah. get out. We need a lot of power to get out of our atmosphere yeah. into orbit. We're doing this in a couple different rounds, and it, people hoped back on Earth that this would be like, whew, that one was the close. That was a close call, yeah. and and now we're done. Smooth sailing. And it is a close call, right? Yeah, because like, like each, it's it's so precise. Each yeah. engine has enough to do its its thing, and like yeah. maybe a little extra just right. in case. So they right. they used the little extra just in case, and they were like, "Whew, oh, dodged a bullet on that one, y'all." Yeah. Yikes, magikes. Hope yeah. hope that's it, because that that could have been it. That could have been right. it. That could have killed or- you. Or you can't get out, and then you got to land back. I mean, it's just like a huge, yeah. That that was it was yeah stressful. I would think to say the least. I would have. I would have. I would have jumped out. Yeah. Of of the. I would have been like, you know what, guys, I can't do this. I probably would have fainted. I. I wouldn't have gotten on the ship. Like honestly, Ken. I wish I'm. I think Ken lucked out in this scenario. Like shout oh my out God. to Ken. Who didn't have to go through all of this. Yeah. If I was Ken, I would have been like, oh my God, thank God for the German measles. Said nobody ever but Ken Mattingly. <laughs> well, but then, I mean, so this is the part that I don't know is true. In the movie, it, they, they ground him because he's been exposed. He never actually gets the measles. But then he's right. the one that has to figure out, like, how they're going to reconfigure the power yeah. and transfer power to get them back to Earth, basically. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know that I would want that job either. That's true. Like, a lot of pressure there. I just, I, I'll be a janitor in this scenario. Like, I will fully yeah. clean up the coffee yeah. mess. Like, oh that God. sounds great. Whew. Yeah. So during the first two days of the mission, so they're up in orbit, they're flying around. I mean, they're flying in orbit, but straight. They're going to the moon. Right. The crew ran into a couple of minor surprises, but generally Apollo 13 was looking like the smoothest flight of the lunar flight program. Mm. At 46 hours, 43 minutes, Joe Kerwin, the capsule communicator or Capcom on duty said, quote, the spacecraft is in real good shape. As far as we are concerned, we are bored to tears down here. Close quote. Had to say something. Had, had to, to say, say something. something. Fucking Joe had to open his big mouth and say, I'm bored. I'm bored. It's all Joe Kerwin's Mm-mm. fault. The universe listens, honey. Mm-hmm. The universe listens. She answers. At 55 hours, 46 minutes, as the crew finished a 49-minute TV broadcast showing how comfortably they lived and worked in weightlessness, Lovell said, quote, This is the crew of Apollo 13 wishing everybody there a nice evening. And we're just about ready to close our inspection of Aquarius and get back for a pleasant evening in Odyssey. Good night. Dun, dun, dun. First of all, like the idea, the TV broadcasting of space stations is something that like to this day boggles my mind. Like I know that we can do kind of anything with technology, but I'm just like, this is coming from space. From space? (laughs) And this isn't coming from space like what? yesterday or like 2010. This is coming right. from space. This is 1970. Right. Right. Insane. Like I, we didn't even Insane. have internet. Like how were they doing no. this? Yeah. Bil- Satellites were wild. Al Gore wild. had not yet invented the internet. He had not. He had not no. done it. So he I had will, not done it. I will say, so the Aquarius, so the, there's the Aquarius and the Odyssey. One is the command module and one is the mm-hmm. the lunar module, which is the one that they would... Uh, they would have used to land on the moon. I love, you got to name your modules. You got to name your modules. <laughs> How else are you going to keep them straight? <laughs> I love, I, and I love the name Aquarius and Odyssey. Like, Yeah, I mean, they're so like, 
ethereal Greek mythology yes. in yes. the sky, constellations, yeah. you know, all the good stuff, horoscopes. I, I also think really captures the time in which we were doing space exploration because it was very mm-hmm. like, you know, it was you know, still for me today is still like very awe-inspiring. But it carried mm-hmm. a lot of weight and was something that, like, most people were interested in or, you know. And I don't know. I just, I love, I love that they give them these lofty names and not like, you know, it's not like naming a hurricane where it's like Bethel. Right. You know what I mean? Ed. <laughs> right. Let's just go down the alphabet. Let's go down the alphabet. Derek. <laughs> Derek. <laughs> so, everybody's gearing up for a very pleasant evening, right? We're all just ready to kind of go to bed, rest our weary heads. This is going so well. But then, (laughs) when the astronauts were about 200,000 miles from Earth, Mission Control asked Swaggart to stir the cryogenic tanks, which was a routine task that generated a totally unexpected event. An exposed wire in the second oxygen tank ignited a fire that led to the blast that would rewrite the Apollo 13 mission. So they're like, go do this very routine thing, Mm -hmm. press a couple buttons, and then you can go to bed. Yeah. Swagger goes and he does this and boom, bada bing, boom, boom, there's a blast. And let me tell you, the last place you want a blast to happen is in space. space. Truly, there's no other place that is worse. I I would venture to say underwater. <laughs> like underwater is worse than in space? Well, no, I mean not worse, but well, at I least like I guess it's like, similar effects, right? It's similar like, because like you have a big explosion like you're the all that water's coming in, right? And you've got no Right. It's very it's But you can very, get out and survive being in water where as if there's a blast in space, right. you can't get out and survive in space. <laughs> That's true. Like, if you have to, like, actually exit the module, which is not what happened here, but if that was to happen, you're not, like, that's, your your brain, your head explodes. Like, I don't know exactly what happens, but it's, you know, you shrivel up and you die. Like, there's zero percent chance of surviving it in space. That's true. Very true. Immediately, alarm lights flared in the command module and at mission control. Quote, nothing remotely like this had ever happened in a simulation, end quote, flight director Gene Kranz wrote later. He looked for help to the men of mission control, whose average age was 27 years old. Can you imagine this? You are in space. Something explodes. And I am the person who has to talk you through the solutions to fixing the blast. That's that is the simulation. <laughs> oh my I'd be god. Like, okay. Oh my okay. Oh my god. Right. Right. So have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? <laughs> Are you Give sure it all it. of your hardware is correctly selected? Okay. Correct. <laughs> is there a chance? I just feel like also the average age was 27 which means there are a fuck ton of people who are like 22 <laughs> Do you yeah know they're I mean? younger like, there's babies. some youngins in there babies. yeah they're out of college they're fresh out of college this oh is their God. first job out of college yep <laughs> they're like to like we land people on we the don't moon. know we don't even have chest hair <laughs> yeah do you know what my first job out of college was retail so that just gives you an idea of the discrepancy <laughs> retail uh, the 70s were wild wild it was a wild time and i okay. don't think that this is the case anymore with nasa like i no. i would i would venture to guess that the people in mission control are at least 40 know, not i mean that but also like just have a lot more experience oh fuck yeah and They've probably had... are all phd level mm-hmm. type of people yes but also like these this is back when like you could be, you could like become a, you know, air, like a, a pilot or a captain and for the military or the Marines or whatever. I'm not saying the correct word, so please don't yell at me. But, and then like transfer those skills to like NASA. Like that's what you could do. Yeah. You could, yeah. You know, I mean, it was new. Yeah. If you were good at math, they were like, come on down. Like, yeah. get us to space. <laughs> get us to space. We gotta be Russia. We're still fucking trying to We've beat gotta Russia. We've gotta be Russia. Russia. We've gotta be Russia. Yeah. So, 
Oxygen tank number two, that's like the, the one, the bad one. That one blew up causing the number one tank to also fail. The command module normal supply of electricity, light, and water was lost, and they were about 200,000 miles from Earth. My so worst this is nightmare. <laughs> it's bad. It is bad. Like, you have a couple of tanks. We're lost. We've lost two. We've lost two of them. We don't have electricity. We don't have water. We are in space. <laughs> Nobody can come get you. No. As Nobody the movie says, you. there's no rescue possible in manned spacecraft. There is no rescue there's possible. No man, there's no rescue possible with NASA. No. No, no. So oxygen tanks are exploding. They're not working. Next, the warning lights indicated a loss of two of the three fuel cells, which were the spacecraft's prime source of electricity. With warning lights blinking, one oxygen tank appeared to be completely empty, and there were indications that the oxygen in the second tank were rapidly depleting. 13 minutes after the explosion, Lovell happened to look out of the left-hand window and saw the final evidence pointing towards potential catastrophe. He said, quote, We are venting something out into the... into space, end quote, he reported to Houston. Capcom Jack Lusma replied, quote, Roger, we copy you venting, end quote. Lovell said, quote, It is a gas of some sort, end quote. And what it was, it was oxygen gas escaping at a high rate from the second and last oxygen take. So captain on board is like, we're, we're venting something, aka something is leaking. Something is leaking. <laughs> and and Houston's like, yep, uh, we, are, we are seeing what you're seeing. Uh, something's leaking. And then everybody realized it is the last of the oxygen that is going bye-bye, which we need. Mm-hmm. We need it so desperately. We need it so desperately. Can't, can't, literally cannot live without it. Yeah. Yeah. So that last oxygen tank ended up being the command module's oxygen, which led to the landing mission to be aborted. At that point, they were like, we will not be going to the moon. No. We will not be going to the moon. We will not be landing on the moon. No. Us and the moon are not going to meet because now it is truly like... What are we going to do about right. this situation? We're right. having to pivot to trying right. to get back to Earth right. with very little um, sources at our hands, at exactly. our fingertips. We have no... And it's like, can we even keep the crew alive to, yeah. in the amount of time it would take to get them back? How long is it going to take right. them back? Do we like just... I mean, this is... again, And this is where they, the movie, I think, does a really great job where they're like... Do we just do an about face and bring them home or do we use the moon yeah. and the moon's gravity to slingshot them to get them going? And yeah, I mean, I cannot. Oh, God. There's a reason why I love this movie. And it's be like just it's so the tension, the fear. Oh, I can't even imagine being in that room, like having it be yeah. your job to figure out how to keep these men alive. Right. And the and like the many potentialities of where that's not where that where that is going to fail, where you're not going to be able to keep them alive, even if it's just because they have no oxygen, like and then right. they just like die in space and drift off and or like, right. Or like they crash back down into the Earth's atmosphere and burn. I mean, like. Just where your yeah. mind goes about the possibilities is quite frightening. And, like, the entire world knows. Right. Right. <laughs> like, because we just did a TV segment, so everybody knows right. that the astronauts are supposed to be landing on the moon. And now right. it's like, um, there's actually, we have a crisis, mm -hmm. and it's bad. It's bad. It's very it's bad. very bad. So, let's talk about keeping the crew alive. Let's. <laughs> So as the control module lost pressure, its fuel cells also died. And one hour after the explosion, Mission Control instructed the crew to move to the LEM, which is the lunar module, which had sufficient oxygen and use it as a lifeboat. So the command module, the piece, it's basically two pieces and the command module, it's the command module and the lunar module, which they called the LEM. And there's this basically tunnel between the two. And so they had been in the command module, which is what they used to fly the thing. And they were going to go to the LEM, the lunar module, as a lifeboat. I don't want to be, I don't want to have to get on a lifeboat in space. Do you know what I mean? No. 
Like, I, I, you never want to be on a lifeboat in general, but a mm-hmm. lifeboat in space, that's too sounds, stressful. That's too stressful because you know what? It's not a boat and we don't even have it's a word a for what it is. That's how yeah, scary it is. like, just it go is. to the other one. Go to the other side of the ship. Go to the other side of the ship. <laughs> Close the door. Yeah. Let's figure this out. So they moved to the LEM. The command module was shut down, but would have to be brought back online for Earth reentry. So they need to, like, conserve all of that. The Whatever oxygen yeah. is left there, all the fuel, they shut, they shut it off. Yeah. The LEM was designed to ferry astronauts from the orbiting command module to the moon's surface and back again. Its power supply was meant to support two people for 45 hours. If the crew of Apollo 13 were to make it back to Earth alive, the LEM would have to support three men for at least 90 hours and successfully navigate more than 200,000 miles of space. The crew and mission control faced a formidable task. No shit, Sherlock. <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. And I hope, I don't know what they, I'm sure, so many things were, I'm sure, changed after this mission as yeah. far as like backup and whatever. The first and foremost being like, both modules should be able to support three people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Baseline. Yeah. Baseline. We have three people on board. They should be able to support three people. Maybe four. Let's do four just in case. Just in case. Just in just case for we fun. meet somebody along the way. Let's just do four. Let's just do four. Let's and how, just do four. How long is this trip? Let's times two. Times two. If we get to build it, let's do four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Power was also a concern. There were 2,181 amp hours in the LEM batteries, the lunar module batteries. Ground controllers carefully worked out a procedure, again, one of the best scenes in any movie I have ever seen, Mm. where the command module batteries were charged with LEM power, so they transferred the power from from the LEM batteries before they cut the lunar module loose. They transferred that power to the command module. Yeah. Excellent scene by Gary Sinise. Just... Really mm. good. Gary Sinise. Oh, Chef's so kiss. Good. He's so good. All non-critical systems were turned off and energy consumption was reduced to one-fifth, which resulted in, sa- in having 20% of LEM electrical power left when Aquarius was jettisoned. So Aquarius is the name of the LEM module. So they moved most of it over to the command module and then lived on one-fifth of the energy for the rest of the trip. There was one electrical close call during the mission. One of the command module batteries vented with such force that it momentarily dropped offline. Had the battery failed, there would have been insufficient power to return the ship to Earth. Like, there's just not I'm a just moment so to breathe. I'm, I'm so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. So stressed out. Oh my god. We should have like eight backup batteries. You know what I mean? It should never come down to a single battery. No, you being should be like, thing. You should be able, like you should have batteries at the, I mean this was 1970. They didn't have this, but I, I just I want like a rechargeable like boop boop. You know like we put yeah. it in the in the ship. We just carry them. Absolutely. I understand that that's not how science works, but that's what I want. I understand it too. I get it. I get it. I get, I get it. it. This is why I'm not going to space, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That's why I don't do this for a living. Water was the main consumable concern, the main thing that the the crew needed to stay alive. It was estimated that the crew would run out of water about five hours before Earth reentry, which was calculated at around 151 hours. However, data from Apollo 11, which had not sent its LEM ascent stage crashing into the moon as in subsequent missions, showed that its mechanisms could survive seven or eight hours in space without water cooling. So thank God they had some like data from a previous mission to tell yeah. them that like, no, 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 no. We can, we can, like, we, we think we can make we'll this make work. It. We can make this work. Yeah. We think it's five, but this other thing happened and we're pretty sure we can go longer, which thank God. But also this is what, like they're drinking water. This isn't just like to cool yeah. the ship. This yeah. is drinking water. Yeah, like, what's the point of trying to do all this if you're going to die of dehydration Right, while in space? While in space. So the crew also conserved water. They cut down to six ounces per day. You're supposed to have, like, whatever it is, eight times your body weight divided by four, whatever the flipping thing is. But not a hell of a lot more than six. It's definitely not not just six. (laughs) That's not even a cup. They had six ounces of water per day, one-fifth of the normal intake, and they used fruit juices. They ate hot dogs and other wet-packed foods when they ate at all. 
Can you this can you can you imagine? No. Like like close your eyes and imagine with me. You are in space. Things the oxygen tank is blown up. You're in the lunar module. You know that your chances of surviving this are so slim mm. and require like such like all of these insane things to align perfectly. And the only thing you can eat are hot dogs. Listen, I love a good fucking hot dog. I would absolutely you know, eat that. You know I love a hot dog, but like, especially, I know it's a cold hot dog. Yep. Like a cold, cold ass wet hot dog. Hot dog? Yep. I have to eat, I have to put that in my body. I would rather, <laughs> I would rather go with the lunar module and just be jettisoned into space. To see Lizzie than have from to the like window. shove a cold, wet hot dog into my mouth. <laughs> Not knowing if I was gonna live or die. Oh my god! Because imagine you do all of this and then you die, and then you die, and you've had to you've had to shovel like eight wet hot dogs, <laughs> and you're dehydrated, and then you die. And you're anyway. dehydrated. Oh my god! Oh, no. thank god they lived, no. you guys. They lived. Thank god because Spoiler, we wouldn't be doing. But not. Oh my god! There's a reason I don't <laughs> ever want to talk about the Challenger. Like Jesus. Oh my god, no, we're not touching that. No, I don't I don't wanna no. It's too That's sad. not this podcast. You no. want that, go to another podcast. No. The crew became dehydrated throughout the flight, because duh, and set a yeah. record that stood up throughout the Apollo missions. James Lovell lost 14 pounds, and the crew lost a total of 31.5 pounds, 31 and a half pounds, nearly 50% more than any other crew. Sure. Yeah, because they're not doing anything. Not eating yeah. anything. Those stringent measures measures resulted in the crew finishing with a 28.2 pounds of water and about 9% of the total. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled, or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com. Removal of carbon dioxide was also a problem because mm-hmm. the square also I there's this movie is so full of good scenes. This one is so good. The square lithium hydroxide canisters from the command module were not compatible with the round openings in the LEM module. We, why wouldn't they make them the same? Why? Why wouldn't they make why? them the same? I like I know it's something scientific and I understand. Mm-hmm. I understand that there's something scientific for why these can't be the same. But again, I'm saying that we as humans got to build this thing. We got to figure out how to get people on the moon. Like it's not this doesn't have mm-hmm. to be how we do it. No. We could have really taken yes. another 6 to 8 months to figure out how these could have been the same shape. The same shape. The same shape. Or, you know what? If they have to be different, an adapter an adapter. An adapter. An adapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me an adapter. Give me an adapter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Mission Control built an impromptu adapter, thank you, out of materials known to be on board, and the crew successfully copied their model. And this, mm. I swear, the line from the movie, we got to find a way to make this fit into the hole for this using nothing but that. And it's just a table of stuff 
that they know yeah. is on, <laughs> including like the flight plan. Socks. Yeah. You know? Socks. It's so good. Oh my God. Yeah. I'd be, but like also stressful. Could you, like, how would you even? <laughs> yeah. Just... It's, it's stressful for the people who have to like take these items and go, okay. okay. And like, you know, that people's lives are on the line. For me, it's also stressful for the astronauts who just have to sit there and oh my fucking God. wait. Yep. And fucking wait mm-hmm. for Houston to figure out how to build an adapter using their socks. Right. Like, what a long few hours. I... Of just like, it, every step of the way, they're just having to wait for people on the ground to tell them, yes, this is what's going to happen. Like, that's to me probably would have been the worst part. It's just... yes. Waiting, waiting for bad news. Waiting for bad news. Because it's not like they, they're not going to tinker with shit. No. On their own. No. Because that could, that could be catastrophic. You have to trust in Houston. Right. They've got nowhere to go. They can barely move. They've got no water. They have food, but they're, they're not eating really eating dogs. it because it'll make them thirsty. They're eating hot dogs. Yeah. They've got nothing to do. There's no, they're just like staring at each other and out in space and just like, I, it is amazing. I just, I, oof, I would be, I would be okay, I think, through it and then have a mental breakdown like five days after we crash landed back on Earth. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think I would be okay through it. I, 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 I would probably cry at least once, but then once I got back to Earth, I would just fall apart. Yeah. And for I like think for me it's like from start to finish. I'm unwell. <laughs> for when we're in space, when we're back on Earth, 10 years later, I would never fly again. Uh, like the trot like uh, this would take over my entire life. You could never go into space. You can't even fly commercially successfully. I can't even fly United without no. having a meltdown. So <laughs> you are never going into space. Not going to space? No, oh my God, that would be such you a. You would liability. never come back. No, you no, would I would never, never make. I would faint. Yeah. So they've got multiple issues. They've got oxygen issues, fuel issues, water issues. Navigation was also a major problem. The Lem lacked a sophisticated navigational system, so they didn't really know where they were pointing. And there's no like. You're just looking out the window into space. It's not like, oh, yes, that's star, blah, 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 blah. So right, we head, right. let's turn right at that star and then we'll be right. home. You don't know what you're looking at. Right. And the astronauts and mission control had to work out by hand the changes in propulsion and direction needed to take the spacecraft home. Can you imagine? Can you, like, close your eyes, close your eyes once again and imagine that you've gone into space the oxygen is bleeding from the spacecraft. You have no water. You're eating wet hot dogs. You're waiting for Houston to try to figure out an adapter situation. And now you have to do advanced calculus by hand. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. No. Like one of those things, maybe. Two of those things would kill me. All of those things? Absolutely not. <laughs> sorry. I don't I'm understand. Sorry. Sorry. Do you think I'm immortal? <laughs> <laughs> How about you do the calculus no. and then you tell me what to put in? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Okay. So that's that's what's that's what's going wrong. Those are all the things that we're kind of having to solve uh for that. So let's move on to like how everything comes together to get these guys back to Earth alive. So the anxiety for the safety of the astronauts was felt in every corner of the globe, and millions of people remained glued to the television and radio sets as the perilous journey unfolded. So that's the other thing. It's like, this is being broadcasted. Everybody knows what's happening, and they're getting updates on what they're going to try to do. Like, there's, to me, there's, there's nothing in our modern, I guess, my conscious life that can, that, that, that remotely compares no. to this. No. Only the command module could pass through the Earth's atmosphere. The lunar module, which is the one they've been in and are, like, converting all of the energy to the command module, 
that the lunar module would have to be discarded along with the service module before the outer atmosphere was reached. In the meantime, as we know, they're living in the lunar module. But at the end of the day, when it comes to re-entry, the only module they can do it in is the barely oxygen-fueled <laughs> com- command module. Like, of the modules you want to go down, yeah. you want it to be the lunar and not the command. And and yet, here we are. Here we are. With in that the opposite inverse. scenario. Living in the upside down. On April 14th, Apollo 13 swung around the moon. Swaggart and Hayes took pictures, and Lovell talked with Missa Control about the most difficult maneuver, a five-minute engine burn that would give the lunar module enough speed to return home before its energy ran out. Two hours after rounding the far side of the moon, the crew, using the sun as an alignment point, fired the lunar module's small descent engine. The procedure was a success, and Apollo 13 was on its way home. So imagine having to be like, there's the sun. Let's Mm -hmm. go. What? What? That's so stressful. Yeah. They literally have to slingshot around the moon. It's going to take five minutes. The chance of success is probably what? 60-40 in favor of failure? And they managed to pull it off. Yeah. They managed to slingshot themselves around the moon and, like, use gravity, use the force around the moon to get them, to give them enough oomph. Yep. To, like, catapult into Earth. Yep. And use this teeny, tiny little engine. That's meant to go. little engine. It's meant to go, like, up and down. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Lovell, Hayes, and Swaggart huddled in a chilly lunar module for three days. In these dismal conditions, Hayes caught the flu? (laughs) From what? Can you just get it from the... Like, where's the flu virus lurking? (laughs) If I was Hayes, I'd be like, are you serious right now? You're having to eat wet hot dogs and you have the flu? No. Give up. On April 17th, a la- so this is, they shoot around the moon yep. on April 14th, and it's a three-day period before they're back within, like, about to land to Earth. Yeah. So on April, <laughs> Hayes has the flu. Yeah. Everything's, everything's coming down. On April 17th, a last-minute navigational correction was made using Earth as an alignment guide. So we're still doing math by hand. Yep. Then the repressurized command module was successfully powered up. So we've been transferring energy. Mm-hmm. We've been trying to get the command module basically have enough to get to Earth and nothing else. Right. And it's cold because it's been turned off. So And it's in right. space where there's no... Space is cold. There's no temperature space. is cold. So they there's – it's simply a big old question mark about whether the yeah. thing would even turn on. Yeah. But it does. It turns on. It turns on. As Apollo 13 approached Earth, it jettisoned, which basically means detached, yeah. both the service module and the lunar module. Because the lunar module carried a nuclear reactor – it had to be dropped where it would sink deep in the ocean near New Zealand. However, it was the separation from the service module that stunned the astronauts and those in mission control. Surprise, surprise. Surprise. It's not the one that we thought would be a problem. It's the other one. So the service module is the one that has, like, all of the stuff. The one that, like, services the other two modules that, like, gives them the power and the oxygen. It's where they're carrying all of their stuff. But I kind of want to go, like, if I was a deep sea diver, I'd be like, wait, you mean there's a piece of Apollo 13, like, on Earth? Like, I would go want to see that. I want to see that. For sure. awesome. Yeah. So they separated both modules. Then, quote, Lovell told Michigan Troll, there's one whole side of the spacecraft missing. After peering out a window, based on the rupture's proximity to command module's heat shield, the three astronauts and their colleagues in Houston knew that Apollo 13's fiery reentry could destroy the spacecraft 
and kill the astronauts if the heat shield had been damaged. So, we, you know, it's like every step of the way, there's something where it's like, this this could kill you this if could this kill doesn't you. go right. Yeah. And then this could this could kill you if this doesn't go right. It's like, just get me to a place where nothing can kill nothing me. Nothing can kill me. Please. Please. Before moving into re-entry communications blackout, Swaggart said a kind of farewell. He said, quote, I know all of us here want to thank all you guys down there for a very fine job you did. Lovell seconded his declaration. Then came the static of the ship's reentry communications blackout. So when we're going through sort of fire of the atmosphere, we yep. can't talk to, to mission control. Nobody can communicate. So it nobody passed. would know what happened until they actually reentered. Yeah. And there's you like could a, see it in the sky. <laughs> you see it in the sky. You hear them. Yeah. And there's a, there's a because they've done this multiple times now, they know what that time frame is. Just before 1 p.m. on April 17, 1970, the spacecraft re-entered Earth's atmosphere. Mission Control feared that the command module's heat shields were damaged in the accident and waited a harrowing four minutes without radio communication from the crew, which doesn't sound long, but four minutes very is very long very to, long. like, wait. Yeah. In silence and like look at the sky, yeah. look at the boards and be like, are they are they coming? Is, are, coming? are we gonna hear them? Are we gonna talk to them? Like oh whew. I'm like, this is so stressful. I have goosebumps. I like and, and I know what happens. I know thing? what happens. I have and seen I'm like this movie they're, thousands they're, of they're times. Chilled. And every chilled. I have chills. And every time I watch this movie. Because, like, they they go to all the families and the kids and, like, L- Lovell's son in the movie is, like, at military school. So he's, like, just, like, with his class and the, like, they're all sitting in silence watching the screen. I just, oh, my God. It's, like, one of the best yeah. movies, m- best oh, moments of the movie. I can't. I'm, like, going to start crying because I'm just, like, thinking about it. And That's I'm, like, so good. I'm a basket. I tell you, this is a hugely triggering film for yeah. me. No, I'm not. I, cr- I cry every time. I just, I am, I guess I am a masochist. Like, I watch this movie all the time. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, finally, after four minutes of radio silence, eyes around the world turned to the skies over the Pacific Ocean until the astronauts' parachutes were spotted and they touched down safely on the water's surface. Brought home aboard the recovery ship USS Iowa Jima, Lovell, Hayes, and Swaggart received a hero's welcome, though their mission had become one of the most spectacular failures in NASA history. So they they literally, what's insane is not only does all of these crazy, all of the impossible things align to happen, but then they enter, re-enter, they're not injured, and they have like no, like there's nothing other than emotional trauma right. that has happened to them physically other than like, the weight loss. Right. But, like, there's no – they weren't burned. Nothing nope. exploded. Like, it literally went perfectly. Yeah. This emergency tossed together <laughs> landing. It went perfectly. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so – I just – so stressful. And I love that, like, they do so all stressful. of these things. They do all – they figure out how to get – they, f- they figure out the water rationing. They figure out the oxygen adapters. They figure out, you know, that they're only going to eat hot dogs. And they figure out how to transfer the power from the LEM to the command module so that they can turn the damn thing back on. And then they get to, like, go moment. And they're like, well, heat shield could be damaged, but there's nothing we can do heat about sh- that. So <laughs> we're just going to forge ahead and cross yeah, our fingers. Yeah. I mean, truly, it's like, yeah, you just like, what else do they do? There's nothing. Yep. There's nothing else to do other than and hope. And they did, and mm-hmm. they were completely fine. Yes. <sighs> so, so they're back. They're safe. The guys get back. They're safe. They land in the water. Everybody's happy they're back. So afterwards, there was, as you would expect, an intensive investigation into the Apollo 13 accident. And the Accident Correct. Review Board identified the cause of the explosion. In 1965, the command module had undergone many improvements that included raising the permissible voltage 
to the heaters and the oxygen tanks from 28 to 65 volts DC. Unfortunately, the thermostatic switches on these heaters weren't modified to suit the change. How can you, how can you not modify? Why? You're NASA. Why? Why do we do this? You're NASA. Why? Mm -hmm. Who else can do this? You know? Why? During one final test on the launch pad, the heaters were on for a long period of time. This subjected the wiring in the vicinity of the heaters to very high temperatures, 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit, which would have been subsequently shown to severely degrade Teflon insulation. So we're basically just like burning away the insulation yeah. in the oxygen tank by like using the heaters. Yeah. The thermostatic switches started to open while powered by 65 volts DC and were probably welded shut. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Great. Great. So the switches that tell us when it's overheating are welded shut because we've burned They're them too They're welded shut because it's too hot. It's too hot. Too hot. <laughs> it's too hot. We're NASA. Oh We're too hot. We're too hot. We're too, too hot, hot to handle. Too hot to handle. Furthermore, other warning signs during testing went unheated and the tank, damaged from eight hours of overheating, was a potential bomb the next time it was filled with oxygen, which we filled it with to go on the mission. Which we did. This is NASA's own words. This is coming from the NASA site. Oh, yeah. Quote, I mean, I, I think they, who, who, it's their, they, who else could take ownership of this? They built it. <laughs> it's like, it's not a manufacturing thing. It's not like, oh, we got this from Ford and Ford fucked it up. It's like, no, we at NASA built this and we didn't think of this thing, didn't catch this thing. No. And then we sent it into space and it exploded. It exploded. Because, quote, yeah. according to NASA, that bomb exploded on April 13th, 1970, 200,000 miles from Earth. And if that is not an excellent line, excellent line, I don't know what is. Yes. There's also, this tank also used to be part of Apollo 10. Oh. And they had moved it. So the number two oxygen tank had previously been installed in the service module of Apollo 10, but was removed for modification and was damaged in the process. The tank was fixed and tested at the factory, installed on Apollo 13 in the, in the service module, and again during countdown demonstration tests at NASA's Kennedy Space Center beginning March 16th, 1970. So this is where they, like, they've, they've taken it from Apollo 10, reconfigured it, put it in, and this is the update, yeah. right? They've put it in Apollo 13. They're doing these yeah. tests, but they're not, like, the tests that they were doing damaged the tank, the, the tank, yeah. The tank. And then Look, they filled it with I'm oxygen. All for... Right. And sent it into space. So it's like... Yeah. This was when they were letting, like, the 17-year-olds run the show instead of the 23-year-olds right. with... The 30-year-olds, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am all for reduce, reuse, recycle materials, but I just feel like when we're talking about spacecrafts, let's use new no. oxygen tanks each no. time. Yes. Yes. Let's use I, new equipment each time. New equipment Let's not time. take it from Apollo 10 and put it in Apollo 13. No, Let's make no. this, it's a first Apollo mission. No. It's first and only. Yep. That's it. It's kind of Bye. how I feel about it. Bye. 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 We ditched everything else. We fucking dropped a nuclear reactor into the ocean by New Zealand. We can't afford yeah, any oxygen tank. We could have. Come on. We could have. We didn't we need, we didn't need to send this back to the factory to fix yes. it. Yes. Warranty expired. So the mission attracted new attention in 1995 when Ron Howard's fucking fantastic film, which was $52 fantastic million, dollars, fucking fantastic, t titled Apollo 13, any other title not, would not make sense. Apollo not appropriate. <laughs> the film became a hit and won two Academy Awards, which is shocking to me. It should have won them all. The box office sensation introduced a couple of phrases to American pop culture, and although they seemed factual, were fictional. Ooh, I know. On me. The first was, quote, Houston, we have a problem. Mm, sure. On the big, yeah, on the big screen, it was Jim Lovell who made this declaration, but in real life, it was Jack Swigert. Um, and he said, quote, Houston, we've had a problem. We've had a we've problem. We've had a problem. Not and we then, have a problem. No. We've had, had a problem. Past tense. Yes. Got it. Not as catchy. Just It's not as catchy. And then Lovell later repeated, We've had a problem. So they're both saying it in the past. Ron Howard or whomever was the writer was like, let's just this up. 
Let's zhuzh it up. Houston, we have a problem. Because honestly, to say that we've had a problem means that the problem is over and that is not factually correct. The problem is here and now. The problem is just beginning. Look, I love it. The film also gave Gene Kranz a memorable moment. Gene Kranz played by Ed Harris. Absolutely. like Yummy, yummy, yum. Just such a good performance. I, oh, so good. So he, the film gave Gene Kranz a memorable, a memorable moment saying, quote, failure is not an option. Although Kranz never actually said that, it became so closely tied to his persona that he used the fictional quote as the title of his 2000 memoir. Heck yeah. Take it and I run love it. it. Dig it. Like, I didn't say this, but this sounds great. Mm-hmm. Run, run, run. Makes him sound cooler. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. So... Lastly, Apollo 13 stands as one of the most famous space missions in history. Like Lizzie said, a successful failure in Lovell's words that showcased the innovation and perseverance necessary to bring three astronauts home after a life-threatening ordeal. But let's close out this unbelievable episode with my favorite thing in the world, which are fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, facts about Apollo 13. And like, honestly, this whole episode is like just a series of fun and stressful facts yes so here we're gonna end with a fun fact we're gonna end with a single fun fact on april 15th 1970 so this is before we've landed back on earth this is two days prior to that apollo 13 was 254 kilometers or 158 miles from the lunar surface on the far side of the moon and 400,171 kilometers or 248,655 miles above the Earth's surface. Meaning the crew of Apollo 13 set a Guinness World Record for the farthest distance from Earth reached by humans. What? Yes. So I feel like. That's crazy. Is it still that? Do they still hold it? I don't know. I, I so Let's they didn't see. fulfill their mission, but like at least no. and the, but at least like there was something notable that came out of it, you know, like I don't know. I just felt like all right, at least at least they can claim something. I think they still have it. I think yeah. Yeah, they still have that. Yeah, I was trying to think of what other mission because now we just go to the space station. You know? Yeah, like, we haven't I mean, we haven't really gone to the moon. Yeah. In- decades yeah uh you know but yeah yeah, according to gonna quote the source guinnessworldrecords.com the farthest distance from earth reached by humans are the crew of the apollo 13 mission as of today april 2022 nobody has gone farther and i think that's correct i would hate i mean i know we will eventually but like i think it is while you're right they didn't fulfill their mission they did something that no humans have ever done before what like accidentally right 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 <laughs> like that was not the intention the intention was to go to the moon which people we've already done get some rocks study some stuff and Love come rock. back but instead they like you know did like something that i just can't even equate to any other you know i i think right. that this and us walking on the moon for the first time are two of the most profound things in our history. And and in some ways I feel like Apollo 13's mission failure and successful landing yeah. is more impressive than us getting to the moon. <laughs> oh my that, God. That just went well. Cause, right. Cause we did that. We did that a couple times. Yeah. But to like have to figure this out in space, I think is like almost more of a, in some ways, uh, uh, just a, technological knowledge human feat to than anything else that we've right. done right i agree it's crazy no. it's crazy but we did it we did it y'all we we apollo 13 successfully is here they lived lives after this they did not die in space huzzah huzzah, huzzah. and if you haven't seen the film apollo 13 Give it a go. Know that it is very stressful. Try to remind yourself. And this isn't a spoiler because if you don't know that they survived, like become like read, read the news, you know, Mm -hmm. but just try to remember that they do survive 
and and you'll still cry and be stressed but like try to just keep that as like you know your north star while watching the film but that is the end of our Apollo 13 episode. Thank you so much for finally Ooh. indulging us in this. Uh, this will be a hour and a half long episode. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we loved every minute of it. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to us. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.